had some interesting conversations with people that I know and some that I had never met, particularly in the last six years. These conversations generally started out with people that would come to me and, and the words would start like this. I have a thought that I need to share with you, or I have a dream that I need to share with you, or I have a word from the Lord for you that God just wants me to share with you. Now, I will admit to you that I have held the gift of prophecy, particularly people who have a personal prophecy with some skepticism through the years. And my skepticism is as a result of people who have used this gift to manipulate others or people who have misinterpreted a message that was received or people who have gotten used to rather than hearing God for themselves have grown to depend on people in their lives that would speak to them prophetically that they would then determine the direction of their life and their behavior based on the words that they had received. Believing that if somebody said, I have a word for the Lord for you, that it must be God. Can I just, I just want to share with you this thought that anything that comes through a man or a woman is capable of error. Because we are capable of error. And just because somebody may say to you, I have a word of the Lord for you, does not necessarily make it a word of God for you. I would ask that you would consider the source and always, always, always ask God to confirm what was being said to you. I do believe that words of prophecy can prepare and will confirm. And whenever I have received one of these words of prophecy, my response is always, I'm going to have to take that to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to have to go before the Lord and ask him to confirm that or allow me to know how I am to apply these words. And many times... After having received those, I have just taken those thoughts and I have tucked them into my heart and said, Lord, if this is from you, will you remind me of these words just when I need to know them? Having said that, over the past six years, I have noticed a remarkable consistency from people that I know and people that I have absolutely no connection to as it relates to the messages that I have received from individuals, particularly as it relates to what God's heart might be as it has been revealed in the scope of ministry or in the, the scope of influence that God may want for this church. And when things begin to happen consistently for me, I begin to say, what are you up to, God? Not only have these dreams and words been similar in nature, but two weeks ago there was an individual that I had never met before that came to our church, drove seven hours to get here because he felt as if he had a word of the Lord for me. He was not able to get to me during the service or before, and afterwards he spoke to my wife and shared a little bit and said, do you think I can have an opportunity to speak to your husband? And she says, I don't know. He says, if I can't give it to him now, I will take a hotel room and make an appointment with him this week because I'm not leaving here until I feel that I have shared with him what I think God has on my heart. When I had a conversation with that man, he approached things so humbly that it disarmed me. How many of you know if you approach people with pride and arrogance that it can be off-putting. 
he approached it so humbly and he said, I have had a dream and he began to share with me what he had dreamed, which was again remarkably similar to things that had been told to me for the past six years, some of them so great and grandiose that I have a hard time believing them. After that conversation with him, I told him, I'm going to have to take these things before the Lord. This past week, I received a phone call out of the blue from somebody that I would never expect to have a conversation with about these things who indicated to me, the Lord has woke me up in the middle of the night and I am supposed to call you and I don't know if this means anything to you or not, but the Lord just wants me to encourage you that if you pray and you listen, he's already got the strategy for the dreams he's been giving you. Okay, God, you've got my attention. This is not the setting for me to begin to share with you the specifics of what has been taking place, but I will tell you that it has forced me on a journey in prayer that has caused me to listen to God more than to speak to God. And this is where I want to take this series that we have been in for the past several weeks on when the church prays. And today I would just like to set the stage for what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks about prayer that listens prayer that listens. How many of you know that God is a great listener? He is a great listener. How many of you know he's a better speaker? He's a way better speaker than he is listener, and he has no feelings in either of those. But there are languages that God uses to speak to us. And the first language is scripture. And I just need you to know I'm not going to get to my text till we're almost done. Doing things a little bit backwards today. So you can hang on to your Bibles, and I'll give you a scripture at the end. The first language that he speaks to us in is scripture, and it's in a category all by itself. But God does use scripture and opens the door for us to some different ways in which he speaks to us. And some of the ways over the next couple of weeks that we're going to begin to examine are how he speaks to us in desires and dreams and doors and people and promptings and pain. And I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he still speaks to us in these ways. If we will, in our times of prayer, just learn to listen. If you do have your Bibles and you want to ahead of time turn to a passage of Scripture, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll get there in a few moments. Here's what I would like you to know first of all today. Church, as we talk about a church that prays, we can't obey what we cannot hear. We can't obey what we cannot hear. A half century ago, Dr. Tomatis was confronted with the most curious case in his 50-year career as an otolaryngologist. A renowned opera singer had mysteriously lost his ability to hit certain notes even though they were well within his octave range. And he had been to some other specialists, and they all thought that what this was was a vocal issue, a vocal problem. This doctor thought, however, that something different was going on. So using a sonometer, he discovered that the opera singer was producing at his highest levels of volume 140 decibels of sound waves. That is a little bit louder than a jet taking off of a ship. As a result of that, and the number of years that this man had sang, he had actually deafened his own ears to his voice. And because he couldn't hear the note, 
He couldn't sing the note. And in the doctor's words, a voice can only reproduce what an ear can hear. And the French Academy of Medicine dubbed this the Tomatis Effect. And I think that the ramifications of that, especially as it relates to the church and we who are believers, go beyond the opera. Here's my theory. Every one of us today are sitting here with problems. We have personal problems, relational problems, emotional problems, spiritual problems, and we think that these problems are symptoms. I want you to believe today that I believe that there's a tomatus effect that is happening, and some of the problems that we go through are as a result that we have deafened ourselves to the ears of God, to hear what the voice of God wants to say to us, and so we live in this simmering place of issues rather than hearing what God wants to say to us. Sometimes you have deafened yourself to the voice of God by your own negative talk about yourself. And you speak to God about all of your issues so much that God can't get a word in edgewise. Sometimes it's the voice of criticism, and you've heard that voice so often and so long that you can't even believe anything good about yourself. Sometimes it's the voice of conformity or the voice of culture. Sometimes it's the voice of condemnation that you have listened to for so long that you have grown deaf to what God wants to say to you. And the Bible tells us that we have an enemy. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He is the father of lies. And if you listen to those lies long enough, it will deafen you to the voice of God. And if you can't hear his voice, you can't sing his song. And your life is going to be off key. So let me give you a prescription for the problem. We must learn to discern the still, small voice of God. Because his voice is the answer to a thousand problems. His voice is the key to discovering your identity. It's the key to discovering your destiny. His voice is joy. His voice is wisdom. His voice is healing. His voice is peace. His voice is power. His voice is grace. His voice is truth. So how do we know this? Because in the very beginning, God said, let there be light. And in those four words, he is still creating galaxies on the outer edge of the universe. And how did he do it? He did it with his voice. You see, the universe is God's way of saying, look what I can do with four words. And if God can do that with four words, what are you worried about in your life when he wants to speak to you? There is nothing that God's voice cannot say. And frankly, there's nothing his voice cannot do. He can do however he pleases, and he can speak however he pleases. He has spoken through a burning bush, and he can speak through a donkey. He can stop a storm on the Sea of Galilee with the words, Peace! Be still! And that is tough for us to comprehend, because you and I use our words differently. You see, we use our voices only to communicate. And sometimes when we get frustrated with that, we raise our voice and we talk real loud and sometimes we yell and we have deafened the people around us with the volume by which we speak. Sometimes we can use our voice in a beautiful way and sing as I heard this morning as I just stood there and listened to the voices. 
But our capacity to use our voice is always limited to this communication. So when we think of voice, we think of phonics. But God is not limited to that. God's voice isn't even limited to your range of hearing. The reality is this, that when you get outside the range of human hearing, sound waves begin to do some strange and mysterious things, but God knows them all. I watched a National Geographic special this past week called Welcome to Earth. It featured Will Smith. In one of the episodes, it was interesting because as I was doing the study, this episode came on, and this team of researchers went into the middle of the Dolomite Mountains in Italy. And in the middle of nowhere, they found a cave that they could descend to 1,800 feet. And when they got down into that place, as they discovered it is one of the few places on earth that the human ear can hear absolutely nothing. No sound can be detected. And so they set up monitors within this cave that were able to capture sounds at different waves than what we human ears can hear. And as they left that cave and left those monitors on, they were astounded at what they discovered. That beyond the ability of a human ear, God can create sounds that we may not be able to hear, but the earth can understand. In fact, they discovered deep creaking and groaning sounds that come from the mountain because as the moon affects the water and pulls tides in, so the moon's effect has the ability to pull mountains and make them groan and creak. And they were shocked to hear that the earth has a language. And I was reminded of Luke 19.40 that if we keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You see, God's ability to speak is not limited by our ability to hear audibly. Can I tell you how God uses his voice? He uses his voice to create and to convey. He uses his voice to heal and to reveal. He uses his voice to guide and to grace. And here's what I know for sure. God is speaking, and the question to the church is, are we listening? Is he the loudest voice in your life? If he's not, there's a problem. And the solution is tuning and turning up the still, small voice in these seven languages that we're going to talk about. Here's the second thing that you need to know today. To hear God speak takes relationship. How many of you took Spanish or a language in high school? How many of you are fluent in that language that you took in high school? Man, the hands disappeared quick. I mean, it was like you had forgot to put on deodorant today. You see, what happens is we have the ability to learn, but it requires repetition. It requires constant use in all of these things. And if we don't use that language and practice within that language, we lose the ability to do it well. I know my wife Cindy's voice. I know her tone of voice. I know her nonverbal voice. I know the look that can speak paragraphs. When we hold hands and something is going on, she will squeeze the skin between my thumb and forefinger. And the amount of pressure that she applies there is how serious she becomes about whatever issue is going on. I've got 40 years of practice listening to that voice and she hearing mine. 
I had the privilege of doing a wedding yesterday, and I told the young couple, I said, I know today you are starting out with dreams, and you think you know each other well. You are just on the first day of what I hope will be a long, long journey of learning to communicate with each other. And so to us, as we begin to get into this understanding that in order to hear God, we have to be in relationship with Him, we have to understand that prayer isn't just outlining our agenda to God. It's about getting into God's presence and into His Word and letting Him outline His agenda to us. And listening to God is what turns prayer from monologue into dialogue. And I want you to hear this. You and I need to hear God's voice more than He needs to hear us. I want to tell you a couple of other things up front. If you aren't willing to listen to everything that God has to say, eventually you won't hear anything he has to say. Let me repeat that. If you're not willing to listen to everything God has to say, eventually you won't hear anything he has to say. And here is one of the tension points that we face within the culture we live in today. There are so many people, and you and I know them and have conversations with them, that want to pick and choose the promises of God that they want, the blessings of God that they want, and they want to ignore his compassionate conviction. And let me tell you, his conviction is compassionate. Culture screams to God, I want your love and I want your acceptance, but I don't want your righteousness. And soon, culture grows deaf to hearing the voice of God at all because they wouldn't listen to everything that he had to say. So if you want to hear a comforting voice, you have to listen to his convicting voice. I think sometimes, let's be honest, we're afraid of what God might want to say to us. And in these seven languages of the Bible... Every one of them speaks to the fact that God is a loving God, but not necessarily loving in the way that culture defines it, but biblically loving, because if he's not loving, he will never correct. And sometimes when God speaks, he wants to address us with tough love. Sometimes what I need to hear the least is what I need to hear the most. And God is not afraid to go there in your life. And so sometimes he loves us with tough love. Secondly, we live in a culture where everybody wants to be heard, but so few have anything to say. I think because we do so little listening, especially to God, that as a result of that, when we are called on to give an opinion about something, if we've not been in the presence of the Lord, we don't have anything of value to add to that because only what the Lord has to say is going to be important. It's only the nature of God at work through His voice in our lives that gives us anything to say. And so we, as a people, want to have influence in our culture, want to have influence in our world as a result of Jesus living within us. And it starts with the fact that church, in order to learn to pray, we need to learn to listen so that we can hear what he has to say. In fact, I know that there are many of you that desire to have a prophetic voice in this culture. Let me tell you this. If you want God to give you a prophetic voice, you need to learn to develop a prophetic ear. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, the scripture says this. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The English Standard Version says it was a low whisper. The New American Standard Bible translated a gentle blowing. The King James Version said it was a still, small voice. But by definition, a whisper is one who uses their voice instead of their vocal cords. And I believe that there is some theological significance to this that is pretty profound. Because it tells us that God breathed into the dust and formed Adam. In other words, Adam was once a whisper of God. Also, you and I, when we were created, were a whisper of God that became life. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture, as he's describing his word, all Scripture is God-breathed. Do you get the sense that when God whispers and God breathes, something miraculous happens to us? The Bible says that God is whispering to you. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought for just a moment. Because on the morning of August the 27th in 1883, ranchers in Alice Springs, Australia, heard what sounded like gunshots. The same mysterious sound was reported in 50 geographical locations spanning one-thirteenth of the globe. What the Aussies heard was the eruption of a volcano on a remote island in Indonesia 2,233 miles away from those ranchers in Australia. The volcanic eruption, which is reportedly the loudest sound ever recorded in the history of the earth, measured sound waves of 310 decibels that went around the globe four times. It generated 3,000-foot tidal waves. It threw rocks a distance of 34 miles, and it cracked one-foot-thick concrete 300 miles away. That's the power of a sound wave. In fact, if sound exceeds 110 decibels, we have a change in our blood pressure. At 141 decibels, we become nauseous. At 145 decibels, our vision blurs and our eyeballs vibrate. At 195 decibels, our eardrums are in danger of rupturing, and death by sound wave can occur at 202 decibels. On the opposite end of that is a whisper that measures 15 decibels. Now go back with me to the scripture that we just read in 1 Kings 19. We read this scripture and we tend to dismiss the phenomenon that precedes the whispers and think of it as insignificant because God was not in them. But I want you to know that had that been you and me standing there instead of the prophet, God would have got my attention. How many of you know God has an outdoor voice? And when he wants to get somebody's attention, he has a way to do it. And so when we look at this, the question we ask is why and how and when and where. And God, in all of that, decided to speak after, it, after all of these things in a whisper. And the reason, I believe, is because if you want to hear a whisper, you have to lean in. Isn't that just like God, who is more concerned with intimacy and relationship than he is in the loudness in which he can yell. And so 
He draws us close, and we have to lean in and put our ear next to the voice of the Spirit so that he can speak in a whisper to us the things that are most important. He could easily intimidate us with his outdoor voice, but instead he whispers, and his whisper is the breath of life. Let me share with you this thought. According to Jewish tradition, the name for God, which is Yahweh, was too sacred to pronounce. But there is another tradition in Judaism that believes that the name for God, Yahweh, if you remove from it the vowels, if you take out the A and the E, what you are left with are the letters Y-H-W-H. And if you pronounce those letters the way we naturally would, it sounds like breathing. Yahweh. Yahweh. So on one hand, God has a name that is too holy to pronounce. On the other hand, his name can be whispered with every breath you and I take. It was your first word at the instant that you were born. It will be your last word at the moment that he transports you to glory. And it is every word in between 23,000 times a day. I think that we are breathing the name of God in a whisper. Because he's created us for intimacy. And so when we sing the songs that he is as close as the mention of his name... Every breath he reveals to us his closeness. So we look at Acts chapter 17, verse 28. And it says, For in him we live and we move and we have our being. In other words, because it is my name that is breathed with every breath that you have, I am the one that sustains you. I have access to the inner recesses of your being. And if you will just listen, I will speak to you as every breath speaks to me. We find in Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 3, an interesting six-word prayer that I believe will change your life. And actually, depending on the version of the Bible you have, it might be a seven-word prayer. But we know that there was a woman by the name of Hannah who could not conceive, and she begged God, and God gave her five children, but her first was a child, a boy by the name of Samuel, that she gave him back to the Lord. He essentially was raised in the temple. In fact, the Scripture says that he ministered or he grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I want for my children and my grandchildren. I want them to grow up in the presence of the Lord. It says that he grew in favor with God and with people. It also says that in those days the words of the Lord were rare and there were not very many visions. But one night the Lord spoke to Samuel, but Samuel had not yet learned to hear and understand the voice of God. I believe that that's an issue we still deal with today. I think God's speaking all the time, and we just don't know it's Him because we haven't learned to hear Him. God is speaking to us through dreams and desires and doors and people and promptings and pain, but we mistake it for something else or we ignore it altogether. Now we need to begin to filter those voices through Scripture and carefully as God begins to speak to us. But in verse 7 it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. 
And as he was laying in his bed and God began to speak to him, he thought it was Eli. So he went to Eli and kept responding, why did you call me? Why did you call me? Somewhere on his journey, Eli, who did know the voice of God, began to say to him, whoa, 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 it's not me. God is trying to speak to you. Here's the danger that we have today. If you rely on me to hear the voice of God for you, if you rely on me to give you the only spiritual food that you're going to have all week, that's codependency and that's not good. God wants to speak to you. And Eli finally told him, here's what I want you to say the next time you hear this voice. And this is the prayer that I want us to focus on this coming week. He said, when you hear him next time, simply say, speak, for your servant is listening. Worship team, would you please come? Speak, for your servant is listening. If we want to be the kind of praying church that allows God to reveal all of the dreams and goals and desires that he wants for us, it will start in prayer, even though we've already talked about pleading with God in prayer, standing in the gap, desperate prayers. In prayer, there also is this moment of time when we simply stop and say, speak, speak, God, in whatever language you choose, speak. Your servant is listening. It says the Lord was with Samuel and he grew up. In verse 19, there's this, this wonderful, wonderful descriptor of what happened after that that says this. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he, he being Samuel, let none of his, God's word, fall to the ground. He developed into a great listener. So church, we say a lot. We speak a lot. We make a lot of sound. We have a lot of activity. But for the church that prays, we need to be just as attuned to stop and say, speak. Your servant is listening.